This is the Charter Nation Podcast. You're listening to Charter Nation. This is the Charter Nation Podcast. Produced by the California Charter Schools Association. I'm your host, Anna Tentakoulis, and this is our very first episode of Charter Nation. Welcome. A bit about myself, I've been a longtime education reporter in California, but most importantly, I'm the proud mom of two kids in the public school system. As host of Charter Nation, I bring that perspective with me, and I'm thrilled to bring you all the many voices of California's charter school movement. You'll hear from charter school educators like Cecily Frost. She's the principal of Bay Tech Academy in East Oakland, the first school in Oakland Unified to welcome kids back on campus this year. Take a listen. The first day, there's already the first day excitement and jitters, right? And now there's even more of that because they haven't been here for a year and we're still, you know, working around the pandemic. And there's a whole lot of fear around that. You'll get real stories from charter school leaders, students, parents, and teachers. On this podcast, you'll get the latest charter school trends and research, and you'll hear from personalities that shape public education in a regular segment we call Changemakers, which makes its debut in this episode. Changemakers features CCSA's president and CEO, Mirna Castrojon, interviewing the movers and shakers in public education. And in honor of Latino Heritage Month, our first series of guests will be Latinx leaders in California who are true defenders of public education. So let's cue the music and bring in our first changemaker. He is the 41st mayor of Los Angeles and a true ally of charter schools in Los Angeles Unified. We can give our children the quality, world-class education they need and they deserve. That is Antonio Villaregosa, our very first guest on Changemakers. Here's Mirna Castrejon. Mayor Tony, thank you so much for being here and helping us inaugurate this podcast. Mirna, thank you for having me and thank you for the work that you do and that your organization does to improve uh, the quality of education for kids uh, all through California. And someone who has been in the trenches, if you will, for the effort to improve those schools. Well, thank you so much, Mayor. We really appreciate your being here and for all that you've done across your long and illustrious career to make sure that every single child gets an opportunity for a high quality education. I'm going to start with a really simple but fundamental question. What caused you to be so passionate about public education? Well, I I was involved in the walkouts uh, in 1968 at Cathedral High School. I led the walkouts there. Um, If you recall, uh, many schools on the east side of Los Angeles, including Catholic schools, uh, I was at Cathedral High School at the time, uh, were protesting the lack of resources, protesting the fact uh, that the books we had were sometimes decades old, uh, that there weren't the kind of offerings there are in more affluent neighborhoods, and that the quality of education was uh, inferior. Uh, to other more affluent schools throughout the city. In our case, we also were protesting the fact that 
Uh, we wanted Mexican-American studies. We wanted to learn about our contributions to uh, the city, the state, and the country. So I've been involved my entire life in this effort. In fact, in my high school, Marina Roosevelt High School, I'm a Rough Rider. In 1971, when I graduated, had a 25% graduation rate, which means one out of four people were graduating. 34 years elect, uh, later, when I was elected mayor, they had a 36% graduation rate. Uh, I took over those schools with the partnership schools, and today uh, they have an 84% graduation rate. Our partnership schools at the time had a 36% graduation rate. And today, I think that number is approaching 87%. Our kids can learn, uh, but uh, we can do better. We need to make sure that every child is graduating uh, from high school uh, and that a good percentage of them are graduating from college as well, a four-year college, and are getting a skill. So. This issue is an issue that comes uh, from a passion. Having worked for the teachers union for eight years, having been married to a teacher and uh, my own experiences uh, have led me to uh, this effort and this lifetime avocation. Um, overall, you are the quintessential Angelino and your love for Los Angeles, like you you sweated from your pores on an everyday basis still. What are you most proud of? There were a lot of things we were able to accomplish in that time. But if I was proud of anything, I'm proud of the fact that we helped to turn LA Unified uh, on a path of greater success. Think about it. One out of three failing schools when I became mayor and one out of 10 was too much. And they'll continue to make progress. Uh, slow, too slow for my account. But I think we, you know, working together, we could do a lot. I'm proud of the people uh, that come here and to this country and work hard and want a better life for their kids. And we're the most impacted by COVID uh, or the brunt of the fatalities uh, were on the front lines in so many areas that were the essential workers and their kids were the most impacted because as you know, California schools were among the last to open in the country. Let's be clear, uh, I'm a Democrat and a progressive, but a lot of re Republican states with Republican governors uh, opened up uh, their schools well before we did and you didn't see an epidemic of COVID cases among students or adults. Many private schools were open. The wealthy and the privileged had schools open the entire, most of the year. Their kids had tutoring on top of that. And I think we all ought to acknowledge and take a step back, uh, take a deep breath and say, it's, let's join hands, let's work together, let's figure this out. Let's, let's reward our teachers who, have sacrificed so much and uh, invest in the wraparound services that our kids need when they're not born wealthy and privileged. And uh, let's do the work of making the American dream and our public schools the pathway to that dream. Absolutely. Well, this is the, the, the perfect opportunity for me to ask your thoughts about LA Unified I think during the pandemic, the fact that 
they fed so many people who were going hungry was remarkable that they did made a lot of efforts to uh, make sure the classrooms were ready for our kids. But the, the fact is, Alley Unified uh, and schools throughout the state were way too late in opening up our schools for instruction. That is something that I think we all have to acknowledge, accept, take responsibility for. And I think the best way to take responsibility is now to use the resources that have come from the federal government and focus them on the kids that have been left behind, that have been the most impacted, so that we can catch up. I've seen studies that said these kids will never catch up. I don't buy that. I think they, that we have a responsibility to make sure that they do. It will take money. It will take time. Uh, it will take a collective effort on the part of all of us. But uh, our children can't wait for us uh, to figure it out, we got to roll up our sleeves and get working on it now. It sounds like you're outlining the top three jobs of the next superintendent that takes over LA Unified. Uh, we've had six superintendents over the past 10 years. The job is enormous in the second largest district in the nation. What advice would you give Angelinos and, and the school board and the Los Angeles Unified community as they're searching for this superintendent? Well, I've, I've always believed that a CEO uh, should report to a board, uh, that the board should set the broad parameters, the broad policy goals, but that the, the superintendent ought to be able to lead the effort to improve these schools. And I think there's always been a lot of micromanaging uh, that really isn't healthy it's why so many of them leave, um, why so many of them just burn out. Uh, you know, they have meetings that are 10 hours long. I mean, on a regular basis. Uh, I think uh, uh, there are a lot of really good, professional, committed teachers, support personnel, administrators in that school district. Uh, set the broad parameters. Hold them accountable, but let them fly. Uh, let them lead. Let them teach. Uh, I've, you know, I worked for the teachers union and, and something I, I saw happen way too much. You know, uh, not enough administrators and principals actually going into a classroom, supporting the teacher, um, providing them with the resources they need. And I think, you know, I think we all need to take a step back. And uh, as I said, collaborate and cooperate to a much greater degree. Clearly, we know that this pandemic has uh, has tremendous direct and downstream impacts on uh, the most vulnerable. Beyond this two years of the pandemic uh, in public education in California, how do we rebuild back stronger? Mo the vast majority of children, not just here in California, in the United States, but around the world, uh, have been significantly impacted by COVID, by the fact that they're no longer intermingling in a community of other students, that they're not in engaging more directly with their teachers and the entire school community. Some kids have been impacted more than others. The poor, uh, the kids without internet, uh, without a computer, 
kids that have to share a computer with others, kids uh, who don't have parents who have the wherewithal to review and more importantly, help and assist correct uh, their work. And disproportionately, those students were low income in this country uh, of color. And I think we have a responsibility to address that. And I'm hoping that the legislature and the federal government will take notice. I think there are some good things that have happened and I think we need to acknowledge that. You know, fortifying pre-K, expanding uh, it to four-year-olds on a federal level, providing our teachers with more assistance. We need more psychologists and nurses and counselors in our schools. We need to fund our schools as if they were a priority. And I've often said that if we funded them like we did our prisons, uh, we'd be a much better off as a country and have a lot less prisons as, as a matter of fact. There's certainly some children who did do very well with uh, online learning. There are schools that did better than others as well in providing those wraparound supports and ensuring that they were as flexible as possible to get their students through in this moment. And I'm very proud to say that our charters were leading the charge uh, across the state of California in using that flexibility and autonomy uh, to be able to really lean in and respond in the moment while recognizing that this is a very, very hard slog uh, and we're not out of it by a long shot. What's your best advice for uh, charter schools ending this first acute phase of the pandemic and, and looking at the next phase, the rebuilding phase where we're still getting out of the most acute phase? Well, as you know, uh, charter schools are public schools um, and I think charters and traditional public schools and hybrids like uh, the partnership schools ought to be making sure uh, that the legislature uh, is providing the resources to a greater degree to the kids uh, who have been left behind, who haven't done as well uh, during this pandemic and with online instruction. Uh, they ought to be providing the wraparound services that help them. Uh, I think it's important for schools that have done well, even under the pandemic, uh, ought to be able to share their stories, what they did, how they did it, uh, why it was successful. And I think flexibility is important. You know, we have an ed code that it enunciates rights, but we also have responsibilities that come with those rights, obligations. And I believe that the interests of kids have to, has to be paramount here. Uh, we have to say to ourselves, we've got a lot of work to do, but let's work together. I want to get back to this point of partisanship, of the pointing figures. I, I, I'm not interested in pointing fingers. We're all in this together. Let's stop uh, the screaming and start the working together that's so critical and that these kids deserve. It, it is equity. It is responsibility. It also is uh, collaboration and and hope. I think that's that's the my observation has been something that really is a theme in your entire life. This anchoring to an optimism that truly believes in the potential of people and in our ability to do better. And uh, I'm grateful for that leadership and that example. Um, and I couldn't thank you more for being our inaugural guest. So thank you so much. Thank you. 
for the work that you do. I look forward to being on your podcast again in the future and uh, good luck. That was Antonio Villarigosa, the former mayor of Los Angeles, speaking with Mirna Castrojon, president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association. You've been listening to Changemakers on the Charter Nation podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tintopoulos. Stay tuned for a preview of our next episode. Next time on Charter Nation, we're winding back the clock to the mid-1990s when Bill Clinton was president. For an increasing number of families, charter schools are the right choice. In fact, there are now waiting lists at seven out of 10 existing charter schools as more parents realize that more innovation and creativity can produce good results for their children. We'll talk about that time in education with Maria Echeveste, a former aide to President Clinton. She now heads up the Opportunity Institute in Berkeley, which focuses broadly on equitable educational outcomes in the U.S. The pandemic has exacerbated traumas. So what whole child equity tells us is it impacts the brain, but the brain is also incredibly malleable. With the right supports, children can learn. That discussion is part of our special series of interviews on Changemakers featuring influential Latinx leaders in honor of Latino Heritage Month. We'll also talk about charter school enrollment trends in California. More and more large urban school districts are losing students at traditional public school sites. Does that mean more families are turning to charter public schools? Tune in to find out. But for now, we want to thank you for listening to this debut episode of the Charter Nation podcast, the voice of the charter school movement in California. It's produced by the California Charter Schools Association. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check us out online by going to ccsa.org slash podcast.